Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Mark Morano is unleashed and he's taking on the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, and the United Nations on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. TNT. Welcome to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right, breaking news, brain implants. Are you ready to have your thoughts read, your mood altered? It's not science fiction. It's not some realm of the future. It's here, it's now, and it's not spectacular. This is a brain pacemaker has been developed to help ostensibly for crippling depression. It may soon be available to more people. This is the Associated Press reporting on this. Let's roll clip three and take a look. And very, it seems pretty good. What could possibly go wrong? Simulation is a very, very simply DBS, deep brain simulation, is a pacemaker for the brain. And depending on where you put the electrode, you can engage in various different circuits in the brain. It is giving small amounts of current. We deliver it at 130 hertz, and it's on all the time. Not only do we give stimulation, but we can measure what's actually happening with the electrophysiology. We can get the brain activity off the device itself. In the case of Emily, the patients actually can record themselves, and we're able to analyze it. So here's her brain data. So here's the very beginning of time. Yes, your brain data is available for researchers, big tech, government studies, academia, and anyone else who wants to peer at your brain data because of the deep brain stimulation or DBS. Now, first off, if I had crippling depression, was suicidal, I'm not going to turn down a treatment like this. I'm not knocking someone for doing that. What I'm saying is this is really on the edge of a brave new world, especially given corporate government collusion, the great reset goal of taking away freedom, democracy, private property. One of the tenets of the great reset from the World Economic Forum is you will have no privacy and life will never be better. That was one of their huge uh, promotional videos uh, from a few years back that yeah, from promotional articles that they did promoting this. I mean, this is going to be like, first of all, who would have thought we're giving our eye scans? I haven't done that, but certainly fingerprints to Android, to Apple. You're giving up your financial privacy every time you consent to apps, PayPal, Venmo, your credit card app, just way for hackers to get into your financial information. And now we face the possibility of hacking your own brain with deep brain stimulation. Of course, you have uh, Elon Musk with his Neuralink helping people who are crippled, I guess, walk and regenerating parts of the brain. I mean, again, it's all fascinating stuff. I'm not anti-technology. I'm not anti-science and I'm not anti-research. I'm not anti-experimenting for people who want to do this, but it's a warning. This is a serious, serious warning. And as such, this is how 
these kind of technologies can be used. These deep brain stimulation, brain implants, monitoring your data, putting it on computers, having scientists and teams of people and low-level bureaucrats and techs go over all your brain waves and even your thoughts. This is clip four. Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum, sitting next to Sergey Brin, the, the co-founder of Google, bragging about the possibility of brain implants and how they'll be able to read people's mind and know what they think. So let's let's take a look at clip four. Can you imagine that in 10 years when we are sitting here, we have an implant in our uh, brains and um, I can immediately feel, because you all will have implants, I can, and we measure your, your brain waves, and I can immediately tell you how the people react or I can feel uh, how the people react um, to your answers. Uh, can you imagine that? That that you don't have to imagine it. That's here. It's it's now. You have in uh, Canada assisted suicide. Even of teenagers, of anyone who's depressed, that they, they want to get rid of you. The more they know your thoughts, the higher they're, they're you know because of the deep overpopulation that they see as a problem. Their goal is just to clear you out, clear you out. The voluntary human extinction movement will soon become the mandatory human extinction movement. But Klaus Schwab has also gone on and talked about how we won't even need elections. We'll be able to predict how people vote. We don't have to hold an election. Who cares about voter ID or mail-in ballots? There's no election. There's no reason to have one. We know the result. We know who's going to win. You know, he used to laugh at the old Soviet elections with the 100% vote or the North Korean elections or any totalitarian. Well, what's your vision of no election? What's your vision of people like Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, the, uh, the deep state, our intelligence agencies, being able to read your brain uh, with, uh, again, I want to get this right. It's deep brain stimulation is the goal. So it's always billed as a measure to help you. It's going to help the severely depressed. It's going to monitor. We're going to trigger little happy thoughts, you know, uh, going back and forth. You, you, I, I don't know. And people, you know, you sound like, an, I feel like, oh, okay, this sounds like a conspiracy person. No, I'm playing you what the Associated Press is talking about here and now. And then I'm playing you what Klaus Schwab is hoping becomes mainstream within 10 years or less. That's reality. And I'll tell you what's not reality. Okay, this is now just a silly story, but Donald Trump is now being hit by uh, the the mainstream media and a group that would be the equivalent of Media Matters for America. It's called Patriot Takes. And they're trying to say Donald Trump shoved someone. And they have video. It's very convincing. It shows Trump and he's like, and he like shoves someone. I'll show you that in a minute. But this is the way they can create alternate realities, a very minor, minor, silly example. But I thought you'd like to see this. So let's let's go ahead. I'm going to show you. This is what the left-wing corporate mainstream media is saying the idea is that Donald Trump is shoving this guy. Clip five. Yes, Donald Trump looks angry. He's shoving someone. And this will make out the narrative now. You know, they're getting to him. They got him facing jail. He's facing bankruptcy. He's got all these court cases. He's a corrupt criminal. Now he's angry. His whole empire is crashing. Look at him shoving innocent people. Now, the guy who he allegedly shoved posted this video. And this is worth watching. This is clip six. This is the actual take 
of a wider angle. So you can actually see what happened. Clip six. And there you have it. Let's, let's let's do this one more time because this is just how a media narrative when Trump allegedly made fun of the disabled guy, oh, it turns out he did oh, like every person who uh, whoever he mocked or hated had nothing to do with whether they were disabled. His little uh, contorted mannerisms. Clip five, one more time, this is what the media wants you to believe, Donald Trump shoving people in an angry mood. And now clip six, the reality, Donald Trump is shoving no one. And there you have it. This is how media memes, media narratives get created, whether it's Russia collusion, whether it's Russian interference, whether it's the, the Hunter Biden laptop is a fake, whether it's uh, Donald Trump saying those are good people uh, of, the, of the protesters, uh, the, uh, yeah, the white supremacist protesters. He was talking about people in the battle for civil war uh, history and statues, not white supremacists rallying out in, uh, I guess it was back in Virginia, that was in 2000, that was way back, early in his presidency, 2000, maybe 17. It's just another example of how they manipulate. And what's funny about this is, you know, we're talking about brain implants and, and knowing what people think. When you have a PSYOP, psychological operation, like we had with COVID in March of 2020, well, it actually began in January, in earnest, in January of 2020, that's nothing more than psychological warfare based on fear, based on absolute crippling fear to make people bend to your will. And that's what Anthony Fauci was all about. That's what public health tyranny was all about. That's what every unelected bureaucrat public health officer was about. That's what every executive order was about. That's what every nightly newscast was about. The whole idea, you could pick any newscast from 2020 after COVID, after March of 2020, until like a year and a half later straight. It was all about you know, more restrictions. People aren't doing, wearing their masks. People aren't doing that. We have COVID case counts are going up. One epidemiologist finally declared, and I love this quote, tying COVID lockdowns or mask mandates to COVID case counts is akin to tying the lockdowns and mask mandates to phases of the moon. That's literally what we became. And that creates a psychological fear. The idea of a mask, when you go into a Walmart or any store or restaurant, you have to put a mask on. That tells people, oh my God, this is a real pandemic. This is real. It's happening. You don't need no freaking brain implant. They got you with the government corporate fear machine. And, um, you know, it's incredible. This next clip, all right, this is climatologist Dr. Judith Curry. Uh, we've had her on the show, actually, one of the earlier shows here on my Unleashed on TNT. Dr. Judith Curry, climatologist. I featured her in my film, Climate Hustle. I went down to Georgia Tech when she was the chair of the department in Atlanta, Georgia, and interviewed her for my film. Well, John Stossel just interviewed her recently, and she said some amazing things about this, the climate change industry and how it's funded and how it's set up to reward, she says alarmism, or that's John Stossel, but it's actually back to my original theme here. It's fear, and what's the fear do? Controls. You don't need brain implants if you can control people through fear. 
You don't need to read their minds if you're bombarding them with nonstop fear. And this particularly applies to young people worried about their their climate future, eight-year-olds suing the federal government, Obama's daughters not wanting to even care about college or their life because they don't think they have a future because of climate change, Greta Thunberg's message, why should kids go to school when they have no, you know, we're facing a climate emergency and the world's going to end. But this is how Dr. Judith Curry sort of explains how this gets rewarded financially with John Stossel, great clip, clip two. Many researchers aren't so open-minded. Leaked emails showed university climate scientists conspiring to hide data. It showed a lot of really ugly things, um, avoiding Freedom of Information Act requests, trying to get journal editors fired from their job. One email read, if you think this Yale professor is in the skeptics camp, get him ousted. Seeing emails like that made Curry realize that climate change fanatics had corrupted the science because there's a climate change industry set up to reward alarmism. The origins go back to the 1980s and the UN Environmental Program. Some UN officials had a specific agenda. Anti-capitalism, they hated the oil companies, and they seized on the climate change issue as one to move their policies along. The UN created what's called the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. The IPCC wasn't supposed to focus on any benefits of warming. The IPCC's mandate was to look for dangerous human-caused climate change. Obviously, if you're only looking for risk, that's what you'll find. And then the national funding agencies directed all the funding in the field. If you say we're all gonna die, you finish the sentence, all going to die, you get more funding. If you say we're not going to die, you get ostracized, you get defunded, you get canceled. In my whole Climate Hustle 2, I featured scientists who literally were careers ended, funding dried up, they were canceled, they were disinvited. You know, on this very show, I played you the clip of Nobel Prize winning scientist Dr. John Clauser, just won the Nobel in 2022, invited to the Biden White House told Joe Biden he was wrong on climate change. Joe Biden declared it right-wing climate science. And he was then uninvited to a uh, World um, International Monetary Fund meeting because of his views on climate change. This is the most recent winner of the Nobel Prize in physics, science. By the way, need to point this out. I pretty much do every time. When you hear people like Michael, man, I'm a Nobel Prize winning scientist. Now, you're a Nobel, he's not, first of all, but the, the, the Al Gore and the IPCC climate panel of the UN, which was set up to fund alarmism as a self-lobbying climate organization, was set up, won the award for Nobel Peace Prize for climate activism, for raising public awareness. Nothing to do with science. Actual Nobel Prize winning scientists are silenced, silenced, canceled, and defunded. Incredible. And I also had another one, Dr. Ivar Jever who, who wrote another Nobel Prize winning scientist who's a huge climate dissident, if you will, wrote a great uh, blurb for my book, uh, Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change, years ago. Well, it's continuing because now, in addition to Dr. Judith Curry, we have Cambridge University climate scientist, Dr. Mike Holm, denounces the climate emergency as a, quote, noble lie. Hmm. What's a noble lie? If you recall, Anthony Fauci admitted to the noble lie in, I believe this was like 
uh, it was like 2021, about a year after, maybe spring of 2021, when he admitted that uh, masks, when he told people not to wear a mask, he, he didn't say admitted. He claimed he told people not to wear a mask because there was a shortage and he claimed that you didn't need to wear one. And then later when there wasn't a shortage, they said, oh yeah, you should wear one. You should have always worn one. He called it the noble lie. He couldn't tell people the real reason that there was a shortage because then there would have been a bigger shortage. So he had to lie for the greater good. Well, this is what uh, Cambridge University climate scientist, who, by the way, if I'm not mistaken, Dr. Mike Holm is the most cited climate scientist in the world. Uh, and this is huge. He's got a new book out, I guess, called Climate Change Isn't Everything, uh, which is a great title. And he says, scientists and activists are exaggerating the threat. Politicians and activists have uh, and activists alike have warned of a looming climate catastrophe for decades. Biden urged to declare climate change a national emergency, reported NBC News. This is an article in the public substack by Phoebe Smith. Phoebe Smith did a great job in flagging this and pulling it out as a whole long audio interview with, and I may have some of these clips of my, Dr. Mike Holm tomorrow, because this is, this is big. This is a big story. I'm just sort of giving you the rough edges, uh, a little bit of the breaking story on this. Climate, NBC News reported that climate change threatens every facet of U.S. society, federal report warns. And by the way, the federal report was the National Climate Assessment. And I, I, I don't know if you've seen it. I, I've talked about this on the show before. The National Climate Assessment, if it sounds like it was written by environmental activists, it's because it was. The key co-authors like Catherine Hayhoe uh, and others were Greenpeace activists. And they literally took over the federal government, wrote these studies, and it's like, oh, my gosh, sounds like a fundraising letter for an environmental group. Oh, wait, it basically is. Uh, it's all about getting the alarm out there. So as Judith Curry said, they can fund the alarmism. Cambridge University Professor Mike Holm. Quote, declaring a climate emergency has a chilling effect on politics, he tells the public. This is, again, Phoebe Smith's article. It suggests there isn't time for the normal, necessary process. Oh, rim shot. There you go. We got it. He just nailed it. Wow. This is huge. This is a, this is a pure member of the establishment. This is not any kind of descending scientist, no kind of right winger, no kind of conservative this guy has been at the heart of the climate debate, but he's always been sort of a more moderate voice. But now he's finally calling out the alarmism. And what he just said was profound. If you declare a climate emergency, the chilling effect it has, there isn't time for normal, necessary democratic processes. Bingo! That's what when it goes back to what I just showed you. Fear, fear, and fear. All this is about Fear, because once you get fear, you get a COVID emergency declaration, you get 10 days to flatten the curve, you get every governor, mayor, prime minister can be a dictator overnight, bypass democracy and do whatever the hell you want because this is an emergency, this is an emergency. The greatest thing we need is emergency power reform right now. So kudos to Mike Helm. It goes on here. This is the, the public uh, Substack article by Phoebe Smith. Helm's credentials are undeniably impressive. He's a professor at the University of Cambridge, founding director of the Tyndale Center for Climate Change Research, a bastion of a lot of alarmism. In fact, I interviewed uh, Kevin Anderson from this Tyndale Center at the Polish UN Climate Summit 2013 or 14 in Poland. 
And he was bragging to me that he gave up showering uh, you know, daily or even more often, I mean, less often, because of the saving the planet and how people need to give up showering. I mean, the, and this is also the man who wanted to, not Mike Helm, but Kevin Anderson, who's from this center, uh, wanted to have planned recessions in order to fight global warming. Well, you got COVID lockdowns, a planned recession. Green New Deal is a planned recession. Net zero is a planned recession. They got their wish with the planned recessions. Holm has advised everyone from the United Nations to the UK government as a climate expert and earned a personalized certificate from the Nobel Prize Committee for his work on the UN Climate Panel. Hmm, I'm still a little questionable about that. That could be a spin there. I don't know if he actually got a personalized certificate from the... I think they might be referring to the UN gave a certificate to some of the scientists who worked saying, this is, you share this prize. Again, peace prize, peace prize prize, not a scientific award. And that matters when you're talking about a scientist, because if you say there's a Nobel Prize winning scientist, no, a Nobel politics winning scientist. Anyway, I digress. That's got nothing to do with Mike Helm here. He has a new book out, Climate Change Isn't Everything. He strongly denounces what he calls climatism, which is a great word. And he describes the unyielding belief that stopping climate change, uh, he described, which is climatism, he defines as the unyielding belief uh, that stopping climate change is the preeminent yardstick against all which all policies must be measured, unquote. Wow. This is the guy we're trying to get him here on this TNT show. I'd love to talk to him about his new book. Uh, this is a big development. I've followed this for two decades plus, And I know when Earth is moving and there's a big earthquake, this is an earthquake. The most cited climate scientist in the world, Mike Holm, is now calling out and, and basically saying, I'm a target now. I had enough of this. I'm calling out my colleagues. He's probably going to have to call out his own center, the Tyndale Center, which he founded because it's a hotbed of climatism in his own words. So we will keep you posted on that. All right. Well, when we come back, we will be joined by, by a special guest, Steve Malloy, who's been battling this, uh, the junk science of junkscience.com and battling the environmental movement, battling uh, unscientific EPA regulations, battling the climate nonsense uh, long before I even began. I don't want to age him, but he's uh, he's really been fighting this a long time. He's got several books on the topic. So when we come back, we're joined by Steve Malloy. You're watching Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. Don't touch that dial or don't click that mouse or you know what I mean. We'll be right back. TNT's James Freeman. Firstly, farming unions in Wales supported a vote to remain in the EU. And secondly, there is no evidence that farmers voted en masse for Brexit. There are no polls or other evidence to prove this. And thirdly, it is a very odd statement to make because what Drakeford is, well, uh, the face of it, what he's saying to farmers is that I now have the power to restrict your farms in Wales because you voted for Brexit. A very odd thing to say. James Freeman on today's News Talk TNT. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. I had a, a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. From weather and traffic reports, 
to news of political developments. We turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world provide the news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom, and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. Too many journalists are paying with their lives. They face exponential risks and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. C'est énorme pour moi d'être là, d'être libre. Surtout que je m'y attendais pas du tout. Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right. Joining me now is junkscience.com. Check out the website. Steve Malloy, uh, author of Green Hell, How Environmentalists Plan to Control Your Life. Also author of Scare Pollution, Why and How to Fix the EPA. Uh, Steve has been in this fight, I believe, a lot longer than I have. I don't know what year exactly you started, Steve, and, uh, but he's a biostatistician, if I have that right, and he's literally in the trenches every day. Your Twitter account, I believe, is at Junk Science, and it is probably the best Twitter account by far of anyone in the climate realist side. I mean, he's it, it, wit, sarcasm, humor, and, uh, and the news you get from it are fantastic. I'm always retweeting you. So welcome to the program, Steve. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the kind words. All right. Well, tell us a little bit. I mean, your background, your biostatistician. How did you ever get involved in fighting against climate change alarmism, green energy, fighting the EPA? Uh, did you have a life before that? And how did you get your what, <laughs> you know, when you got your degree? What did you start out at? Or did you go right into this? Uh, thanks. No, I, well, I, you know, my background, I have an undergraduate degree in science. Uh, then I have a graduate degree in biostatistics. Um, I got bored with that. I worked in the computer industry for a while, went to law school at night, became a securities lawyer, worked at the Securities and Exchange Commission. And it, you know, 1990, for the third time, I lost my job in the securities industry because of a recession. So I got, you know, I hooked up with a guy named Jim Tozy, who uh, was who used to be at OMB, Office of Management, White House Office of Management Budget. Uh, he was a very important guy. He wrote Ronald Reagan's executive order on cost-benefit analysis, and he hired me because I was a lawyer, had background statistics and science, and he wanted to get into the burgeoning field of EPA risk assessment. So that's how I got into this. And, you know, I was never really particularly interested in the environment or science or statistics or really anything I had studied before. I just, that's why it's, you know, that's why I've, I've done so many things that I wasn't particularly interested in any of them. But I sort of fell into this and have been doing it for 
more than 33 years now because what has fascinated me all these years is the lying and how they get away with it. And I just think that, and as you know, you and I both worked on this massive fraud called global warming or climate change. And this is just sort of the most massive fraud that's ever been undertaken. So I guess I'm, I'm pleased to be able to push back against it. Although I am surprised, I'm surprised that so few of us actually, you know, do so. Yeah, it's actually not. Yeah, you know, especially in the media realm. I mean, it's really not that many people. I don't. I don't want to say a handful, but you could almost. You know, there's a lot of reporters that cover the sort of beat, uh, but there's not many people that do what you do. Uh, when give me, can you give me a year, like when you started? Because uh, just curious. Yeah, I started. Like, I started um, when the Clean Air Act amendments of 1990 were enacted, okay. which was November 1990. So it's okay, been wow. more than 33 years now. Wow. Okay. And so it was more on regulatory. When did you actually first get introduced to climate change? Because obviously the first Clean Air Act, despite the fact they're trying to bastardize it to cover CO2, did not cover climate, did not cover carbon dioxide. When did you first hear about, well, I shouldn't say when you, well, when did you first hear about it? What were your thoughts on it? And when did you actually get involved in discovering all the lies about climate change? Well, so I started junkscience.com in 1996. And about the same time, I sort of focused in on global, I was trying to cover a lot of things, but I started yeah. focusing on climate. And it just always seemed like nonsense to me. I don't know why. I just, you know, I, I have this sort of, um, I, I don't want to sound crazy or anything, but I had like this, intu it, you know, intuition on these things. I had done a lot of, EP, you know, um, work on science, government science before I started focusing on climate. And so the climate stuff was just, yeah, they, they're lying on climate like they lie about everything else. And, you know, it's just taken off since there. Um, and, and, I, and I, you know, my whole career has been one of learning. You know, I've been learning this stuff as I go along and, and that includes climate. And I, I have never, um, you know, had any cause to think that, you know, these people that are claiming that you know, greenhouse gas emissions are going to uh, destroy the world. I have I have no no cause to ever think that they're correct. I've I've had no no reason to uh, reconsider you know my thinking on any of this stuff because uh, as as time goes on, they just get to be they just revealed as bigger and bigger frauds. Did you ever think climate change would be this persistent? I remember the one quote you had an interview from years ago. You said climate change was the, I guess, the penultimate of all the climate, uh, all the environmental issues. They went all in like a poker game. You know, they put all their chips in on one thing. Did you ever see that happening? Because if you go back, you know, from the 60s, the overpopulation, the 70s, global cooling, and then you had the ozone layer, then you had species extinction. And then, of course, the first Earth Day was all clean air, clean water. How did climate just become that one all and, you know, be all of the entire movement? Well, I think they've had the most success with climate and they have been able to overwhelm and buffalo the most people with it. Um, you know, they and they, you know, ever since I, I've got to say, I think the, the real sort of, uh, uh, you know, point where the rubber hit the road was when Al Gore came out with an inconvenient truth and got that into yeah. schools because because then they brainwashed just, you know, generations of high school kids. Uh, and, and so, you know, now you've got this youth movement pushing all this stuff. So I had never really, you know, thought about it that, wow, this is 
this is never going to end. But um, I mean, for for a while now, I've I've realized it's it's never going to end. I mean, this is never going <laughs> to go away. And you know what 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 our mission is is to make sure that this remains a political issue and that we get people who are on our side to stay on our side. Well, I don't know if you heard, but Cambridge University climate scientist, Dr. Mike Holm, uh, who has actually been called the most cited climate scientist in the world, is now denouncing the climate emergency claims as a noble lie. And he's basically saying you, when you when you declare a climate emergency, it has a chilling effect on politics. It, su it suggests there isn't time for normal, necessary democratic processes. Does this is this a big deal to you? Because I've I've watched Mike Holm. He's always been sort of a cautious, not really an alarmist, but he's been very mainstream. And now it seems like he's actually coming out uh, against a lot of his colleagues. You expect blowback? Is this? And what do you make of what he said about the, oh, the you know fear look, we we've seen this before. Bjorn Lomborg, the skeptical yeah. environmentalist, Michael Schellenberger. You know, I remember Michael Schellenberger was a hardcore green. Okay, and so now Mike Holm. Well. You know, they're just going to write them off as, you know, the other side is just going to write these people off as, you know, out of their minds and marginalize them and cancel cancel them. Uh, so I don't really, you know, what what powers this movement is people like you and me and the other people that, you know, we work with on this. And there's just really just a handful of us. And uh, unfortunately, we're getting older and, you know, there really aren't replacements for us. So, you know, Mark, we've got to win now or as soon as possible. Well, yeah, there, I saw a Yahoo News article about a month ago about young people expressing more skepticism in the climate world due to a lot of social media influencers. And I'm thinking they yeah. must be referring to like Instagram or TikTok. Do you know any of these young skeptical influencers? I, I couldn't find any. I did a search. I don't know. I, of course, I don't know. I don't know that world of all those apps. I only know Twitter and the web. But uh, apparently, there's people out there gunning for our jobs. I don't know. There, there's someone out well, there. You know, twenty somethings apparently. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so you know, good luck to them because um, <laughs> you know they're not going to be able to replace the experience that you and I yeah. have, and you and I have an incredible <laughs> amount of experience in important places, right? Um, and and they're not going to be able to uh, learn the science, uh, you know, that that I have. Uh, so it, it's just not, it's not going to be enough. And and one one problem I have with all these people is like you know Mike Holm and Schellenberger and Lomborg, um, you know even though they're very good at climate, you know they really don't know anything else about the environment. And uh, so they're you know they're they're often willing to embrace these other environmental scares, uh, sort of to compensate for questioning climate. And you know I, so I've been doing this for thirty three years. I have never seen an environmentalist tell the truth about anything. Um, it has been just one, you name the topic, uh, pesticides, radiation, chemicals, air pollution, water pollution, waste management, Superfund sites, just one lie after another. Uh, and, and so, I, you know, environmentalists are the biggest liars the world has ever seen. I guess I'm going to spend my life exposing this continually, whether people actually <laughs> dial into it or not. <laughs> but, but I am determined to leave a a trail of clues so that eventually people will dial in and figure out that these people are just awful. Well, you know, interesting. Yeah, you know, we had people like uh, former House GOP House Speaker Kevin McCarthy who embrace, and there's a whole Republican Climate Solutions Conference 
conference right. led by I think John Curtis running for Mitt Romney's seat. So yeah, by the way, we don't have to worry. Climate, you know, the climate charade will be still safe with the Republican seat if John Curtis wins, uh, takes over seat. But here's the question: There's the whole, and I actually went to New York City, uh, I guess last year, two, a year and a half ago, to debate uh, these young Republicans they claim to be conservative, who are pushing the idea that climate solutions, in other words, young people believe in climate change, therefore the Republican Party has to accept there's a climate problem and we will offer solutions. Kevin McCarthy has said this, we are, we are, we aren't deniers, we, we, we want the solutions, they want to push tree planting, carbon capture, <laughs> etc. In terms of a strategy, I mean, what do you tell young people? Do you capitulate and say, well, since you think it's a problem, we'll act like it's a problem too? Or has Europe already tried that with people like uh, Boris Johnson and others? Uh, how do you think we should handle young activists who a lot of these are, are pushing the Republican Party into the idea of accepting climate as a problem and offering their own lesser bad, you know, less bad solutions? Yeah. So, Mark, as you know, and my Twitter followers know, or my ex-followers, uh, I take a very hard line on this, and I you know, take no prisoners on any of this. I have spent the last 33 years on a full-time basis studying all this stuff, and I'm not going to be told what's correct by people who, you know, learned, got brainwashed in high school or junior high uh, or who read the New York Times or the Washington Post and maybe see an occasional, you know, TV hit on climate. Those people know nothing. They have no opinions that are worth a crap. So I don't listen to them. I go on my own merry way. I know people think that I'm extreme, but, uh, you know, I, I have worked on this topic in every way, shape and form. I've worked on all the topics. I have written extensively about it. I am out there all the time. You know, uh, my opponents and critics, they can attack me all they want. They usually just wind up calling me names because they know that I'm right on the substance. And that's all that matters to me. I'm right on the substance. And, you know, uh, how that's actually going to, you know, when people are going to dial into that and lock onto it and abandon all this harmful nonsense that we're engaged to, I don't know. But I'm just going to be out there calling it like it is. Well, when I was at I was at a UN's climate summit in Egypt, I had an encounter with Seth Borenstein at the Associated Press. He was actually standing out. I want to say he was smoking a cigarette, but I can't say that for sure. But he was standing out outside of the media tent. And I went up and shook his hand and said, hi, I'm Mark Marano. We'd never met before. He lost it and started looking at his hand and just saying, I can't believe you didn't tell me your name. I would not have shook in your hand if I had known who you were. He went nuts. And you were the first call I made after that. For what, and, I, yeah. and I think you said it was the first call you ever got from someone in Egypt. But the reason you were the first call is because Seth Bornstein went on a tirade about how horrible and disgusting a human being I am. But he said, there's only one person in the world worse uh, than me. And that was you, Steve Malloy. So uh, why does Seth Bornstein hate you so much? And tell our viewers a little bit about who Seth Bornstein is with the Associated Press. He's a climate reporter, but why is why is he someone that would hate you? And how is his climate reporting? Give us an analysis. Well, well, you know, Seth Bornstein has been covering, I guess he's been the lead climate reporter now for uh, 15 years or so. What's that? Well, he's been there longer, be longer, but I think he, yeah. he, he does. He he covers all the science. I mean, if there's some science yeah. on climate, you know, there's Seth Bornstein, you know, parroting whatever he's been told to parrot. Um, you know, you can look at his 
past articles where he's quoted Hansen, you know, the world is going to end in five or 10 years or what. It, 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 the stuff is always wrong. Seth is always wrong. He just totes, you know, toes the line. He works for an organization that is, I mean, people don't really realize this. You know, the Associated Press used to be a wire service. It was formed by you know, newspapers like the New York Times and the, and the, and the Washington Post. And, and they, they just report, they used to be just reporting the news. Um, but I guess that economic model fell apart. So now they're paid by left-wing foundations like uh, the Hewitt Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation on climate. They get millions of dollars every year to just parrot climate propaganda. And so Seth does a really good job of that. And I call him out whenever I can. So, of course, he hates me because I call him out by name on Twitter and they hate that. And he hates that. But he hasn't stopped doing it. He hasn't improved his reporting. He's still just this scribe for climate, for the climate hoax. And so as long as he's doing that, I'm going to pick on him and anybody else. Yeah, you you touched on the media. You know, I know Bill Gates does this in his world. He funds ABC, PBS, and he gets glowing interviews, glowing reports. Uh, you know, in the pharmaceutical industry. But in terms of climate, you have the Associated Press and a lot of these climate desks, I want to say NPR, a couple others, founded by these foundations and uh, and billionaires and others. Is there even objective journalism possible on that level when it's all, you know, just funded by that? You know, the Washington Post has an embedded, and not making this up, climate solutions reporter. And that's the exact title. And he's the one that wrote about recycling human hair into clothing, because if it ends up in a landfill, like 22 tons causes all these greenhouse gas emissions. Right. No, honest reporting is not possible. We don't get it. Um, <laughs> you know, even conservative media, we really don't get very... Uh, you know, very good reporting. Yeah, I mean, they'll pick on the enviros and, and you know, climate nut jobs. But for my money, they don't really do it for the right reason. You know, they just sort of uh, pick on the sensational idiocy of, the you know, like throwing uh, uh, paint at the Mona Lisa or pouring powder on the Constitution. Yeah, that stuff is, you know, easy. Um, but they don't really focus on the science. You know, Mark, you and I and some others focus on the science because, if you don't focus on the science, you can't take this beast down. And so, and 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 there's no, you know, um, you you can't get any science coverage in the media, even conservative media. You know, just today, for example, uh, Wall Street Journal has this editorial on these new EPA rules for particulate matter. And it, for my money, it sucks as an editorial because it doesn't go into the science fraud behind EPA's claims about particulate matter. And conservatives just won't do that. And, and you know that that's another thing we got to fix. Yeah, I want to talk. We're going to we'll take a break here in a moment, but I want to talk to you about the, the diesel fumes, particulate matter, EPA regs, and a little bit of green energy. But one last question before we go to break: the um, in March of 2020, you had uh, COVID declared an emergency, and literally overnight, the world essentially followed a lot of the green agenda. We stopped flying, we stopped driving, we you know did a planned recession on the economy through government coercion. Um, Joe Biden wants to declare a national climate emergency. Is that feasible? You think in this final year, you know, before the election this year, because he came close apparently a year and a half ago, according to the Associated Press, it would give him 130 executive powers. What's your thought on that? You know, not that they're not not that they haven't already bypassed democracy yeah. and all these other things. Yeah. But. yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't think it's possible this year just because it's an election year. Uh, but if um, let's say Trump doesn't win in November. 
uh, all bets are off for what's going to happen in the future. I mean, it's pretty clear we've been moving closer and closer to a totalitarian state. I mean, when you're trying to put your opponent in jail like that, um, you could see this coming for a long time. This is not new. You, as as you know, Mark, before everybody else got canceled, who was the who were the first people to get canceled? It was the climate skeptics, right? Yeah, I always say people that. Don't realize yeah. that we we have seen all of this coming. You know, when COVID struck. You could see what was coming down the road. You could, it was easy to understand the science lying. It was easy to understand, you know, the totalitarian reaction by government. I mean, took, they took the opportunity and then they were reluctant to give up the power. You could see all this coming. It's, it all happened in climate. Wow. All right. We are talking to Steve Malloy of junkscience.com. And when we come back, I do want to ask you about diesel fumes, EPA particulate matter. I want to ask you about plastics uh, and a little bit of green energy. We'll be right back. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT with Steve Malloy. Stay tuned. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Dr. Matthew Wilicki is a bit like Dr. Judith Curry. Both of them were prominent academics in their field, and they left their field because of the fact they could not put up with the whole global warming missive. And of course, they have become outcasts. Dr. Curry actually had some of her background at Penn State, and she has been called some mean and nasty names by Michael Mann, to a point where I don't understand why she hasn't sued him for libel and slander, but it's her life. In any case, Dr. Wilicki has this idea about rethinking climate change metrics. Now, this is not an old idea. In fact, one of my professors at Penn State back in the 70s said that temperature is a third-rate way of measuring climate. And he's right, because the temperature can spread apart from what we call the dew point. What is a better way to measure climate is with what we call wet bulbs. But better than that, the best of all is water vapor. We have something that we work with as meteorologists called saturation mixing ratios. And it shows a direct correlation between the amount of water vapor in the air and the temperature. So why aren't we quantifying water vapor? You know why? Because it will reveal that water vapor is the main driving force behind the warming. Now what's causing extra water vapor? Well, it's not extra CO2 in the air, it's the warming oceans. What's warming the oceans? That's not from the extra CO2 in the air either. So Dr. Wilicki's idea of rethinking climate change metrics is an excellent idea. And we should be quantifying water vapor. Fat chance given $63 trillion is already behind this whole net zero agenda. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. As a combat wounded veteran, I know how hard it is to come home and build a meaningful life. When I was in Iraq, our vehicle was hit. A rocket propelled grenade exploded right under my seat. Traumatic brain injury, a fractured pelvis, severe burns. They didn't think I was gonna make it. I had to learn to walk again and live with the scars, both visible and invisible. DAV helps veterans like LaToya get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. With DAV on my side, I was able to pursue my dreams. If my story can touch a heart, it can change a life. My victory is overcoming my wounds so I can help other veterans. LaToya Lucas, may your victories inspire many more. 
Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Unleashing the Beast. Mark Morano is unleashed on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed on TNT. All right, we're continuing our conversation with Steve Malloy. Now, Steve, you were a former Trump, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, advisory? What was it called? Trump advisory, uh, EPA? I was on member? the EPA transition team in 2016, Yes, EPA yes. transition team. Um, now, you, have, you just mentioned the Wall Street Journal, not mentioning particulate matter. Let's just start there. People are worried about the, the parts, the particulate matter, ozone, air quality. Why shouldn't we have the cleanest air quality possible? Why shouldn't the EPA just keep grinding the regulations to give us pristine air quality? Well, so we didn't have such clean air 50 years ago, but it took about 20 years to clean the air up. Since I've been involved in this 1990, November 1990, we've had yeah. clean air. And uh, but since then, EPA has tried to present to the public the air that the air is more dangerous than ever before, which is completely false. They do this with ozone, but mostly particulate matter. Uh, particulate matter, you know, the way EPA describes it is the most deadly substance known to man. A single molecule molecule can kill you within hours per EPA science. Um, you know, I've completely debunked that uh, just using real world examples. Um, I've been in litigation with EPA. I mean, I've, done, I've fought EPA every day on this, and it's very clear that particulate matter in the air is just innocuous. Uh, there, it just, it, it, you know, last year we saw with all the smoke-filled skies in New York, uh, there was no uh, uptick in asthma or deaths um, that could be attributed to particulate matter at, at all. So the whole thing has just been a huge hoax. Well, I mean, let's let's talk about the asthma as it relates gas stoves. One of the things that New York uh, federal government, the unelected bureaucracy has been trying to do is, is ban gas stoves. And one of the things mentioned is asthma. Is there a correlation between gas stoves, gas furnaces no. and asthma? No, th there are no correlations. It's important to, you know, for people to understand asthma is an allergic disease. I'm asthmatic. If I'm ex if I inhale an allergen, um, I'm going to have an allergic asthmatic reaction. Uh, nothing that comes out of a gas stove or a coal-fired power plant or a tailpipe is an allergen. These are just carbon particles uh, or water vapor or carbon dioxide. You know, no allergens. Allergens are proteins. Unless you're exposed to an allergen, pollen is an allergen that you can inhale. Uh, pet dander, dust, mold, you can inhale those things. Those are allergens. Those can trigger some sort of allergic response or asthma. But nothing that comes out of a smokestack tailpipe, um, you know, can, can do that. So, you know, I reject this notion that uh, air quality has anything to do with asthma. Uh, if you're if you're if you're, you're having an asthma attack because you're outside, it's probably pollen. OK, well, what about um, when we're talking about uh, pollutants, you have um, plastics. That's another huge issue all across the world. Uh, the plastic bands, we have the paper straws going and uh, all the plastic waste. How big of a problem is that? There's an article about microplastics being found in sediments uh, deep buried in the earth. Should we be afraid of microplastics, plastic waste? Yeah. So, you know, people might remember in the 1970s, they banned PCBs, which were used to insulate electrical transformers. And there was big news, you know, PCBs found in polar bears in the, in the Arctic. 
And of course, it was all a bunch of nonsense. I mean, yeah, these chemicals persist in the environment and people are exposed to them and they work their way up the food chain, but they're largely innocuous. So now we see plastic, microplast, so-called microplastics, uh, which are very small plastics, which are which are everywhere. You know, I saw a study last week where they found them in placental tissue. Okay, it's everywhere. But the, the but the, the thing is, is there's no harm associated with any of this. You know, it's innocuous. Uh, we've been exposed to microplastics since we started using plastics. So we're talking, you know, uh, decades, if not a hundred years. Uh, it's innocuous. It's fine. You know, it's the green policies that are really dangerous. People are like, well, there's all this plastic trash in the ocean. Well, that's because you know, we used to burn our trash, right? But then the greens made us start recycling stuff. Well, um, you know, with plastics, as it turns out, only about 8% are recycled. The rest of it just gets thrown away. And so we, you know, over the years, you know, uh, Western countries have shipped their plastic trash to Asia and Africa. And those people don't recycle it. They, they don't burn it for energy. They just throw it in the river and it makes its way out into the ocean and washes up on beaches. And, you know, we get all upset about this. Look, let's Let's just burn our trash. We can burn them in modern incinerators for energy. You can reduce your fossil fuel costs if you're worried about that. Uh, we can do this cleanly. There's no trash, no landfills. Um, you know, there are ways to handle this, but you cannot listen to greens. Greens are stupid and they're liars. It's always <laughs> one of the two, right? They're either lying or they're just, uh, you know, just stupid. So ignore these people. What about 80s and 90s? Remember, you had to cut the plastic from the six pack of sodas or beer so that the turtles wouldn't get caught. Were we saving turtles when we cut those plastic bottle, uh, those bottle plastic holders? Well, see, this is the thing with the environment, you know. So, yeah, you know, we, you know, you couldn't have a six pack because it, you know, some some dolphin was going to stick its nose in and get caught and die, right? You know, if that happened, yeah. maybe it happened once. Uh, you know, ironically, now, Mark. Um, you know, in, in the 1970s, we were, it was all about saving the whales, right? And Greenpeace yeah. and save the whales. I mean, that was a campaign started in 1973. Well, what is yeah. it today? Well, we're building these windmills offshore. And and, yeah. uh, and as soon as that development started, we had, you know, 60, 70 dead whales wash up on shore because that development is killing whales. And as it turns out, the Biden administration is permitting offshore wind developers to kill the to kill the whales, and you know not just one whale, but more than twice as many endangered right whales as exist. Uh, tens of thousands of dolphins and seals have been you know marked for extinction if necessary to build the offshore wind industry. So environmentalism has become has gone total Orwell, right? It's it, it it it's not about it's never been about the environment. It's always been about something else. And now, as they get closer to their goal, which is totalitarianism, it's becoming more and more obvious. Yeah. The EPA, now you recently wrote about, I guess, diesel diesel fumes. Uh, they want to go to electric buses. They're pushing this. And you were talking about the EPA did studies where they actually intentionally exposed, I guess it was minority children, African-American kids, to diesel fumes. Can you tell us a little bit about this? And this sounds like a modern day uh, horror story. How Has the EPA responded? And give us the details on that. Well, yeah. So we all hear about, uh, you know, Kamala Harris is like, we want to go to electric school buses so children don't have to breathe diesel. Well, you know, in, in, you know, I, I've worked extensively on particulate matter. Diesel is particulate matter. And I found out that EPA in the 2000s uh, was illegally experimenting on uh, young children 
um, with diesel exhaust, they would spray very, very large amounts of diesel particles up the noses of children as wow. young as 10 years old. It's flatly illegal. And of course, they weren't doing this to the wealthy white kids in Los Angeles. They were doing it to the um, you know brown and yellow kids, poor brown and yellow kids whose parents would do will allow this to happen for money. Um, and, and of course, the kids had no health effects because particulate matter is innocuous, as I mentioned before. Um, when I when I exposed this, um, I, you know, I had found documents on EPA's website. EPA had scrubbed its website, right? <laughs> because they wow. were so any, re any repercussions? I, congressional nothing? Wow. All right. Well, no, we're out of time. One question. Well, if a Trump wins a second term, would you consider EPA director? <laughs> well, if I can asked, never get you confirmed, but you could, you could bet that I'm going to want to play in that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Steve Malloy of Junk Science. Check him out at Twitter, at Junk Science. Appreciate you coming on the program today. Thanks a lot. All right, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. See you next time.